Amen. Thanks, Jessica. All right. One month gone, and it's good to see everybody, brothers and sisters. We have new stools here. This is kind of lower than I'm used to. It's too short. I'm going to stand. All right. So um, it's good to see everybody again, and uh, really blessed um, by the trip, and I'm actually going to share a little bit, actually um, springboarding off of what Daniel was just talking about, like choosing that life in the wilderness, like the beauty and the riches, and what does God have for us in the wilderness lifestyle, um, which was a revelation that I think a lot of us received while we were out there in Israel, something that we talked about and meditated quite a bit while we were out there. It was easy to do because it was 101 degrees, and we're walking around in the wilderness. Um, and so really being in that place and, um, and seeing the settings that many of these uh, heroes of the faith, Moses, John the Baptist, um, Elijah, all these people that chose the wilderness, what, what did, why did they do that? Why did God call them to the wilderness? What is, um, what is the beauty that they saw in being in the wilderness that they received that we can also receive here today as believers? So, uh, so we're going to jump into that a little bit. But um, before we do that, I have some pictures. Let's see. I thought I was connected. Is that not connected? Let's see. Am I stealing the Chromecast over? I also wanted to, uh, Daniel's testimony about getting his visa and stuff was actually was truly amazing. Daniel was so desperate to go that he actually broke into the, uh, the Israeli embassy in New York City. So technically, Daniel invaded a foreign country in order to go on this trip. All right. So um, yeah, he invaded a foreign country. So that was the desperateness with which Daniel wanted to go. <laughs> I know, right? Yeah, they're not going to put you in some some sort of happy, uh, comfortable prison. There, you know. So, but as I told Daniel, either way, you know, however that worked out, he still would have ended up in Israel. So, uh, just not, you know, he would have been in Israeli prison, but he would have made it eventually. So I guess that would have worked out. All right. So here's some photos that uh, that I took of us in the wilderness. This is us uh, in En Gedi. It's actually a, a um, the uh, the place that David fled Saul. So when he talks about going to, uh, fleeing uh, Saul, he went to En Gedi. And but even this is like an oasis within the wilderness. And you see how dry and desolate it is. So dry and desolate that even hiking in it uh, is a struggle. Right, Emily. It's a little hard to see in the, in the darkness there, but Emily is hiding from the, the brightness and the heat of the sun in this little outcropping of stone. And just like, that's how hot it was, even hiking up this area, that she, you needed like moments of respite and, and being able to hide. And here's uh, Becca, it's hard to see there, but she's like fanning her and like spraying her down with water and like getting her hydrated. And that's how hot and desolate this area was. Back there, you can actually see, um, so Daniel showed you a picture of, of the, the Sea of Galilee, which is a beautiful, beautiful, vibrant area, um, but this is the wilderness. This is uh, the Judean wilderness, which is further south, and that's the Dead Sea. So it's not like the Sea of Galilee. It's not a, a vibrant place. There's nothing living in it. The Dead Sea is, is the lowest place on earth, um, and it's a, it's a salt-filled sea, right? So it's not... It's, um, it, it, all the salt kind of gathers there. Nothing can live there. Nothing can thrive there. All right. Um, so it's the sea of salt in the Bible, or the Dead Sea. Back to En Gedi. This is us when we finally made it up to the spring. So you can see how just like even a respite of the spring. Emily, this is Emily. If you see Emily there, she finally made it. And I want to applaud Emily for being a trooper, for, for surviving. And, you know, Emily had a very grateful and thankful heart despite the pain and suffering of the journey. Um, she was very grateful for it. Every day she would say, thank you, Jesus, that I've survived yet another day in the wilderness. Um, and so that's Emily there. All right. 
Um, but yeah, but if you see in this picture, so, uh, this is kind of the wilderness here, and it, it's hard to see in this, um, but there's actually caves back here. There's tiny little pockets or caves, and it's people walking down there. So you can see how big those caves are and how high they are. Um, those are the types of caves that people living in the wilderness would have hid out in. When you hear about the Dead Sea Scrolls, that's, that's um, the Essenes, this group of, of Jewish believers that, uh, or Jews that, that hid out in the wilderness to live uh, this sort of ascetic wilderness lifestyle. Um, and they lived just in caves like that. And those are the type of caves where they found the Dead Sea Scrolls, which are the scrolls that um, kind of reinforce the, uh, uh, how the scriptures are, are, are still um, the same as they, they were before. So um, just a couple more pictures there, just throwing some pictures out. But anyways, I, I wanted to focus on those caves because those are similar to type of places, dwellings that, um, that someone like John the Baptist may have, may have dwelled amongst or dwelled in. And so John the Baptist is, um, is the, the one that I think the person that I want to really focus on today. Um, and that was the one that we meditated on his role and um, his life. Uh, what can we learn and what can we gather and glean from him? He's, he's kind of the prototypical guy uh, in the wilderness, a, a forerunner in the wilderness. Why was he out there? What was he doing? And as we meditated on those things out there uh, in the wilderness, um, there's a lot of uh, really good things that God was showing us that we can apply to our lives here today. Um, and I think John the Baptist is, is important um, because Jesus said he's important. Uh, Jesus not only said he's important, but Jesus said that he is the greatest among men. That's a wild statement, right? Like a wild statement. Jesus said, John the Baptist, there's nobody else born a woman that is greater than him. It's like, wow, right? Uh, why would he say something like that? And there's obviously something in John the Baptist's life um, that we should look at and, and take notice of and emulate. All right. Um, and so uh, that, that was what we were called to do on the, on the trip, uh, choosing the wilderness. Um, Samuel Whitfield is a teacher from IHOP that led the trip, and he really challenged us. You know, these, uh, these prophets that we read about in the wilderness, and even as Daniel was sharing that verse about Jesus getting up early in the morning, even when it's still dark, and going out to the wilderness and pray, we all look at that and say, wow, that's, that's great. That's amazing. Or someone like John the Baptist living this ascetic lifestyle. Wow, that's great. That's amazing. But usually we kind of stop there, right? We say, oh, wow. Like, we admire that. We, we recognize that the goodness that can come from that, but we fail to take the next step and emulate it. Right? So how do we move from that in that process as believers, from, from applauding or recognizing uh, this, this, these excellent things, moving from admiration to imitation? How do we do that? What is that step that we do? And part of that step is actually choosing the wilderness. Right? So again, in, in Matthew chapter 11, verse 11, Jesus says this about John the Baptist. Truly, there's none born among women that is risen, no one greater than John the Baptist. All right, so what are the things that, that he wants us to learn from him? And what did John do? John actually chose the wilderness. This wasn't a place that he got trapped. This wasn't a place that like he had no other options. The Bible actually says John, you know, his father, Zachariah, was a priest. All right? And then the, in those times, in the Jewish times, yeah, you've made it. You're part of the priest. You're like the 1%. You're like the upper crust. Right? You got things provided for you. People look up to you. Uh, it's an elevated family. Uh, things were provided for him. He didn't need to struggle out in the wilderness, right? So he was born into a priestly family. He actually had a role, uh, a role and responsibility. As a child of a priest, he would have come up to become a priest. And then he would have had all those things handed to him and, and following in this path of his family. All right, so he was born into this Levitical uh, priesthood, but he was called to something deeper. And in fact, at that time, the priesthood is very compromised. And we see that because of the way that um, the priests treated the Messiah, treated Jesus, right? Uh, and Jesus going before the high priest, the high priest, the one who should be leading Israel, doesn't even recognize Jesus as the coming of the Messiah. And he's the one who should have known, right? And so the very compromised priesthood um, that was very entwined politically and, and 
John, instead of entering into that, he chose something different. He chose what others would have said was a lesser thing, right? Instead of being part of that priesthood or changing from the inside, he said, I'm going to choose the wilderness and go out there. Uh, So in Matthew chapter 3, and John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. For this is he who spoke of by the prophet Isaiah when he said, the voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. Now John wore a garment of camel's hair and a leather belt around his waist, and his food was locusts and wild honey. Then Jerusalem and all Judea and all the region around the Jordan were going out to him, and they were baptized by him in the river of Jordan, confessing their sins. This is, uh, this is John the Baptist's calling, is Isaiah 40. That's where that, where that passage comes from, Isaiah 40. The prophecy of Isaiah t- calling forth a forerunner for the Messiah, a forerunner for Jesus. What does that forerunner do? He's call people to repentance. Right? He's calling people to repentance. Um, and, uh, and he's doing so uh, in a way that he's not just reading that scripture, Isaiah 40, but he's actually living it out. Right? He's living out Isaiah 40. We're going to dive more into Isaiah 40 to see how he lived that out. Um, but you can see in, in John's life, instead of wearing the priestly linens and garments, he's wearing camel hair. Right? Instead of the meats and the, the first fruits of the offering, which are rightly his portion, and those are good things, he's, he's eating locusts and wild honey out in the wilderness. And in fact, today we actually have some locusts and wild honey, all right? So for anybody that wants to try some, uh, this is a locust that I think Cindy bought uh, locusts. So actually, we'll pass this around. If you're interested, you can try some. So there's wild locusts right there. There's locusts, dried locusts. Everybody have a piece if you're interested. And, uh, and wild honey. So actually, you know, I, I didn't know this, but we're out there. You know, you're in the middle of the desert. Uh, there's no bees in the middle of the desert, all right? So uh, there's no flowers. There's not like anything like nice like that. So they're, and I never thought about that. I'm like, oh, that actually makes sense. They, they think that the wild honey, uh, I didn't see any bees. Did you see any bees? <laughs> it's too hot. There's no flowers or anything like that. Um, so they think the wild honey actually in, in the, the Hebrew language, or Hebrew is, uh, is uh, probably more likely something like this. So wild, meaning not just honey from the bees, but wild sweetness. And these are the carobs. So carobs, a tree out there that, that has these, um, these kind of almost like pea pods. And if you chew it, there's kind of this um, almost like a date-like consistency of, uh, of sweetness in it. So if you'd like to take a nibble, you can break off. They're easy to break. All right, so you break a little piece off. Don't eat the seeds. Uh, and apparently somebody almost got arrested for bringing these back, I guess. I don't know. There's a lot of people getting arrested, almost getting arrested. But uh, <coughs> so... So anyway, so this is the this is the, the diet and consistency that he he that uh, that oh yeah Jeff, Jeff I guess almost got stopped by the, on the the customs but yeah so give it a try to, uh, jump into it but as as you're taking a look at it even if you don't take a nibble or take a bite th- this is not like Sunday afternoon potluck food right like if if the guys like today for potluck were like all right we're having uh, locusts and we're having uh, these like pods of I mean. The, it's sweet, but it's definitely not something that you're going to go out of your way to want to eat. Right? It's, not, it's not good stuff. So this is the life that, that John the Baptist has chosen. All right. Um, and, and, uh, but when we... Th- yeah, I mean, nobody's coming to that potluck, right? With, with the, the wild locust potluck all right? and the wild honey potluck. Um, but this is the life that John the Baptist chose versus, again, remembering where he came from as a Levitical or priestly family. He could have chosen the much better, the much better. The Levites actually got some of the best portions uh, of the meats, all right? Um, 
But this is the life and the, the way that he chose. He chose it. All right. He chose the wilderness. He wasn't forced into it. And when we as a, uh, as a people think about the wilderness, uh, oftentimes, even as believers, we think of the wilderness as this, this, this bad place, right? This dark night of the soul wilderness is this place that we don't want to be. All right? But looking at the lives of Jesus, looking at the life of John the Baptist, they, they chose the wilderness. They embraced the wilderness. And why? When we think about the wilderness, we think of it oftentimes as a place that we're only going to temporarily be, right? A lot of us, especially uh, in our kind of more popular Christianity, um, we always want to get to the other side, right? What's on the other side of the wilderness? Where's, what is my calling? What is my purpose? What is my ministry? Um, and if I have to go through the wilderness to get to it, okay, fine. But the wilderness is, is just part of that journey unto the final goal. The final goal is something better right outside of the wilderness, um, but in the life of John the Baptist, he never leaves the wilderness. He's always in the wilderness. He never gets called to the big city, Jerusalem. He never gets called to this massive ministry. Uh, and in fact, looking at John the Baptist's life, when we think about people doing miracles, we have got like Moses, he splits the Red Sea. You know, you got Jesus working wonderful miracles. Um, you know, uh, Elijah calling down fire from heaven. John the Baptist didn't do any of that, right? He didn't do any of that. There's no record of him doing any sort of miraculous uh, healing or uh, calling down fire. He never even received any new prophecies. He didn't write a book. There's no book of John the Baptist, right? He didn't receive any new revelation. John the Baptist's message is actually, he's just saying what the prophet um, Isaiah already said in, in Isaiah 40. He's saying the same message, but he said so with such power that people who knew Isaiah 40, I mean, the people, the Jewish people at that time, they knew Isaiah 40 in and out better than, than, than we do. They knew it in and out. But he said it in such a way with such conviction and such power of the Spirit that people were drawn out into the wilderness to go and hear him preach. It wasn't something new. It was the same thing that they heard, but with the anointing power of the Spirit because of the lifestyle that he had chosen, because the Spirit was upon him. And Jesus calls him then the greatest, even though no miracles, no new revelation. Um, and John the Baptist wasn't even asked to follow uh, Jesus' ministry. You'd think like, yeah, if you're Jesus, you're picking the 12 disciples, right? And you're going to pick the best people, right? And so like, who are you going to pick the greatest? John the Baptist, the great. John the Baptist never got asked to be part of the 12 or part of Jesus' ministry, right? Instead, he got people like Peter and Doubting Thomas, right? Or and Judas, the one who betrayed him. So the way that God sees or evaluates what is success, the way that God sees it is totally different, right? His, his mind, he looks at the heart and things that we don't, we don't even see, so, uh, so we try to avoid the wilderness, right? We, we only, it doesn't offer uh, influence. It's not comfortable. It's hot. I mean, just looking at that picture of Emily suffering in the wilderness, right? It's like, well, why would you choose that versus like a day at the beach or somewhere nice? Right? Um, but so we try to avoid the wilderness. You know, it's not the place of influence, of popularity or comfort or success. Um, but looking at John the Baptist's life, what if the wilderness is the destination. What if that is the place that God wants to call us to um, so that we can put aside distractions and learn to love him first and above all? That if God is truly our one desire, truly the best, then the wilderness is the best place to, to meet him, remove all those distractions and set ourselves on the wilderness is the place of intimacy and convening with him. And that's the way that John the Baptist lived. That's the way that we can still live here today. Not in, uh, in a physical way, we're in the middle of Midwest Ohio, all right? There's no deserts here, all right? But the spiritual way, that spiritual way, that forerunner calling and lifestyle that John lived is accessible to us today, and it's the way that God calls us to be all right? in, in, um, in our relationship with it. So John embraced the wilderness. He spent his entire life there. There's no time where he wasn't, you know, part in the wilderness. 
his ministry, you know, we always think about, oh, God getting us to the place of our ministry. We have a big influence, got a million followers on Instagram. People are listening to this. John never had any of that. Even though people came to hear him speak, after he was put in prison, his ministry fell apart. And in fact, in the scriptures, he says some of his last disciples, their last complaint is like, John, what's going on? All, everybody that was with us is going to go follow Jesus now. Like, this is terrible. Your ministry is falling apart. John the Baptist never had a big, enduring, long-lasting ministry. There's, no, there's not still a, uh, you know, a followers of John, right? There's no like, followers of John. Well, there's a Catholic thing, but there's not a big following of John, right? Do you know them? They're, nobody knows them, right? So, like, they're not a big... <laughs> they don't have a million followers on Instagram, right? So they're not, like, this big, like, thing, right? So that, that to us, would be like, oh, that's a failure, right? Um, and he lived forever in this isolated place, and his ministry was, again, only about six months to maybe a year and a half before he was put in jail for the rest of his life, and he died in jail. He never saw the fulfillment of what he was prophesying about, what he was calling people about, The Isaiah 40 calling, the voice preparing the way for the Lord, he never saw the fullness of it. He never saw the fullness of it. And so that kind of breaks our Western mindset of, oh, what is success in our ministry? Well, if I have a big ministry, if I see the fulfillment of the promises that I feel like God has has given me, um, you know, he lived in expectation for something that he never got to see. But God still called him a success, and Jesus called him the greatest. So how does that challenge our mindset of what is success in my life? What is success in my life? Is it a big ministry? Is it, is it doing big, big and great things? If it is, John the Baptist's life stands in stark contrast to that and should challenge us to reassess our evaluation of our own lives because God's evaluation is not our evaluation, right? All right. Um, so could, would we be happy with that? Being executed in prison alone, all his followers having left him, not even sure if the ministry, the things that he was saying, he even asked Jesus at the end of his life, he's like, were the things that were saying... are." You know, he speaks with confidence when he sees Jesus. This is the Lamb of God. And later on in his life, he's in prison alone, about to, you know, be executed. And he asked, he sends somebody to ask Jesus, like, are you, are you, are you the one? You know, his, his life, um, if we evaluated from that standpoint, we'd say it was not, was not a success. But his greatness was in choosing that wilderness and, and the things that we would say are, are not, um, uh, are not popular. All right. So in Luke chapter one, verse 15, 18. This was, this was John's life even before he was born. An angel actually prophesied about him. An angel came and prophesied about his coming, or announced his coming. How many of us had that happen to? Mom, did, did an angel announce my, my birth or coming? No. No. <laughs> I would say all of us that say the same thing are true. But John's life, it was. Even though in his life he had died in, in prison alone, an angel actually announced his coming. So Luke 1, 15 through 18. For he will be great before the Lord, and he must not drink wine or strong drink, that's the calling to a Nazarite lifestyle, okay? Uh, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit, even from his mother's womb. And he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God, and he will go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just to make ready for the Lord people prepared. All right. So this is the, these are the moments that, that we see beginnings of what is the greatness in John, that God called him to ministry even before he was born. An angel announced his, his coming, announced his, his birth, and that, um, that he was going to be filled with the Holy Spirit even from his, his mother's womb. Like, there's no other recorded example of that. Like, before he was even born, he's filled with the Holy Spirit. I don't know about you guys, but like, receiving the Holy Spirit when you believe or having the touch of the Holy Spirit, I, I, I don't know, I think it was the first time I, I felt the Holy Spirit come upon me is when I got saved around like 15 or 16. John, before he was born, was filled with the Holy Spirit. Filled with the Holy Spirit. 
what, how amazing is that? And this Nazarite calling, so that's another key too, is that Nazarite calling. The Nazarites were called not to cut their hair, not to drink strong wine, and not to be close to, close to anybody dead or, or be, be in the presence of, of death. Um, and that's really about setting yourself apart from sin, all right? Living uh, a fasted lifestyle, avoiding things that are not bad things, all right? It was not bad to eat meat, but John chose some of the lesser things. It's not bad to live in a city, but John chose the wilderness. It's, it's not bad um, to, to have a drink, but it, it, John chose a lifestyle of Nazarite calling, avoiding wine. Uh, why? Because he's choosing the greater thing, choosing the better thing, and also living out the message that he was called to live, which is, again, Isaiah 40. So I'm going to read Isaiah 40 to us. And this is, again, this is the, huh? Oh, all right. Oh, that's right. We have our reader. The last time I can uh, use you for about a year, Isaac, huh? Aren't you going to miss it, Isaac? <laughs> Isaiah 40, verses 3 through 8. Amen. So this is John that was prophesied by Isaiah, and John is speaking this out in the wilderness to the people, calling them to repentance. He's not only speaking it, but he's living it, right? That idea that all flesh is grass, that this, the pleasures of this world are temporary, even if the pleasure is not bad things, right? Recognizing the temporariness and also recognizing that they're inferior, inferior to the beauty and the majesty of Jesus, so he's living that out. He's wearing camel skin. He's eating locusts. I don't know if the locusts has made it around to you. He's choosing these things, not because the other things are bad, but because he recognizes that which is greater. And he recognizes that these things that we enjoy uh, in this life that are not bad things are temporary things. And that our true inheritance, our true inheritance is in the kingdom to come, and the beauty of come, because all flesh is grass. That's the fasted lifestyle, right? Choosing to uh, put down things that are not bad, lesser things, to receive more of what is eternal, what is long-lasting, what is of the kingdom of God, and saying as a testimony in choosing the wilderness, I know that there's something better, something more worthwhile than all the pleasures of the cities, of the big influences, of the pleasures of this world. There's something that is better and that is eternal. That's the wilderness. That's the beauty of the wilderness. And John, in receiving that, in recognizing that, and in embracing and walking in it, did what the Israelites actually could not do. The Israelites, when they came out of Egypt, God brought them into the wilderness. The wilderness ended up being this place of trial for them, but that was not God's original intent. God brought them into the wilderness. When, he, uh, when, when Moses brings the word to Pharaoh, his word to Pharaoh actually says, let my people go. That's not where it ends. He said, let my go, people go, that they may go to the wilderness and have a feast with me, that they would commune with me in the wilderness. Like it's, it, it wasn't a place of punishment initially. It was a place of honeymoon. It's a place of intimacy where they could be alone together. Jesus, or God, calling the Israelites out of Egypt to have covenant with him in a private place, right? That's the Mount Sinai where he comes, and they said, actually, you're too much for us. 
All right. And their expectation was not that they wanted God. They actually wanted a, a home. They wanted wealth. They wanted a powerful nation. Those are all things that God promised to them, but that became their foremost thing. And when God brings them out to the wilderness, this unmet expectation of, wait, where's, our, where's, our, where's the reward? Where's the good stuff, right? Caused them to fall into idolatry, right? Because their primary heart was not for God, not for God in the wilderness, but that was God's intent, it's like, here, I'm drawing you out into the wilderness, just like Song of Solomon, drawing his beloved into the wilderness to be with him. It was a honeymoon, but their hearts were not for him primarily. Their hearts were on the rewards. All right? And that's oftentimes how we live, too. Our hearts are on the reward instead of the rewarder, the one that we should have our hearts primarily set on. And that is what the fasted lifestyle, that's what the wilderness can lead us to, is it's training ourselves to, to put down some of these things that are good things. The promises of God are good things. The promised land, the blessings that he had promised them, those are good things, but they're not above the giver. We love the gifts more than the giver. And the fasted lifestyle helps us to twist and turn back to having a right view, a right orientation. The one that John the Baptist had, that the better things are the eternal things of God, because all these other things are grass, they wither. So that's what we should do when we look at John the Baptist's lifestyle. Not just saying, wow, that's really good that he was ascetic. He put down fancy clothes. He didn't eat fancy foods. He's living out. That's really good. But moving from that to saying, how can I emulate that? How can I um, imitate that in my own life? All right. Um, how can we, how can I choose God's inheritance above my own inheritance? All right. um, before I seek ministry impact, how can I seek God's heart? All right. Relationship. That's what is primarily on God's heart. All right. So putting down the earth, good earthly pleasures to choose the higher pleasures. It's like, uh, you know, I, I, I use Vic all the time, but like Vic, Vic is an example, right? Like I, I love hanging out with Vic and especially love playing golf with Vic. Like we play golf and it's like, it's like the highlight of, like highlight of my month. But if, if, if Vic can't play golf because he's like hanging out with Sharon or like doing something with his son, I'm not like, I'm not like, oh, that's not cool, like, right? Like, Vic's a bad friend. It's not that Vic's a bad friend. It's that he's a good father and a good husband, right? And he's choosing, and that's a requirement. And in fact, I would expect it of him to choose those things, the better things, over something that's good. It's not bad for Vic to play golf with me. And in fact, I hope that we get to play a lot, you know, a lot. But, but choosing something that's better, like, that is not better than the, 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 the love that he has for Sharon, the love that he has for Asher. That is the higher thing, right? And so for him to choose that above this is like, that is showing how much love he has for them, right? So it's a good thing. It's a good thing. That's the same way that we should be with God, right? We have this, uh, um, this, this fear of missing out mentality. Like if, if Vic was sitting there, be like, man, I bet Joseph's having a ton of fun playing golf without me. Like this fear of missing out, right? That, that, that permeates our society. We always want to be involved with all these things. But really what John lived out, what Jesus lived out, is actually there's a joy in missing out, right? There's a joy in missing out on, on some of these good earthly pleasures in order that we have a bigger capacity to fill it with what is higher, right? What is higher. We, we are limited in our capacity, right? Limited in our capacity and our time and our energy and our attention, all right? And to cut out things that are good in order to fill it with things that are better, uh, who, who wouldn't make that exchange, right? And that's the beautiful exchange that Jesus is calling us to. He's no fool who, who gives up what he cannot keep for, um, to gain what he cannot lose, right? And so that is the fast lifestyle that John calls us to. All right. uh, Samuel Whitfield, who is one of the leaders that led the, led the trip, says this, Jesus is not returning for a church satisfied with her success in this age. He's returning for a church dissatisfied with his absence, a church filled with longing for Jesus to receive the final reward of his suffering. The father loves his son far too much to send him to a people who are satisfied with his absence. 
I was so challenged by that, right? Am I satisfied with, if I had a big ministry, if I had lots of wealth, if I built up all the things that this world says are good, which are good things, like, um, would I be satisfied with that? And the answer should be no, if, if my heart is not primarily on, Jesus, I miss you. I long for you to receive your inheritance above me receiving my inheritance. That's the challenge that, that we're receiving with the, the life of John the Baptist, is putting our hearts primarily on Jesus receiving his inheritance. Jesus, I'm not satisfied because you're still absent, right? I'm not satisfied. And God, in his mercy, is not going to send him to a church that isn't longing for him, right? Longing for him above all else. Longing for him, missing him above all else, right? I'm, I'm challenged by this a, a lot in, um, in, this, in the sense that sometimes, you know, I'll see a picture of my dad or something, I'll be missing him. But God will speak to me and be like, do you miss Jesus with even more intensity than that? Right? Thinking about the ones that you love, which are good. Like, it's good that you love your dad. It's good that you love the, you know, uh, the people around you. And missing people, even if they're not, not passed away, but they're, they're absent from you, like you miss your friend from college or uh, missing people. Uh, do we hold that same love for Jesus? We're like, man, I miss you, Jesus. Maranatha, come, Lord Jesus. That is the level of intimacy that God is calling. That's the level of heart that Jesus has for us. That, that's the love that Jesus has. He loves us with intensity far more than any love that we have. Our love is just a, a reflection. We only love, as we were studying in, in 1 John chapter 4 this week in Bible study, oh, we only know love because of, of God, right? That's, that's love. His is the, the eternal, the sun flame. And, uh, and do we love Jesus with that same love and intensity? If not, we need to meditate on the wilderness and cutting out and saying, man, what are these lesser loves uh, with maybe they're good things, hobbies like golf or, or, or you know, things like TV shows that are not like sinful TV shows. What are the things that I'm filling my heart uh, bowl with that, that are lesser things that cause me to say, I'm, I'm not actually longing for Jesus, longing for his return. How do I emulate um, this, this lifestyle of the wilderness, this fasted lifestyle. And so that's what I want to really challenge us with uh, as a body this week. And that's what I was challenged with when we were walking around in the Judean wilderness. It's not a place I would ever want to live, right? It's not a place that I want to go, uh, spend a lot of time in. Uh, you know, it's super hot, it's super sweaty. Emily almost died. You know, it, it, it's not like a, 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 a joyful place. But in cutting all, all of that out when you're walking there, there's no reception. It's too hot to, to enjoy things. Saying, oh, is my ultimate joy in you, God? How do I cut off all these other distractions? Um, and not saying that we're not, I'm not saying, and the Bible's not saying that you're, you cut off your responsibilities to your family, your job, or all these things. What do I, how do I cut off those lesser distractions, right? I, I'm, I, when I got back, you know, I was just texting with a friend and, and, you know, just in passing, like, oh, have you caught up with, like, this and that? It's the Tour de France, you know, like, you know, he's, he's a big cyclist, and I enjoy cycling. He's like, oh, have you caught up with this thing? And I hadn't. And it's not bad to, like, catch up with those, those sort of things, but it's saying, like, do I need to add something more to my regimen of viewing? Do I need to catch up on this latest TV show? Do I need to catch up on, on, on these new music albums? Do I need to see this latest movie? These things are not bad things. They're not evil things. But if I'm not captivated by a longing for Jesus, missing him first, maybe I should leave those things on the side. Maybe I should cut those things out. Not because they're evil or bad things, but because I want to choose something better. And I know in my heart I don't have enough. I don't have a, a depth enough of a love for, for him and missing him. How am I going to cut those things out? Just like Vic would say, maybe I should play a little less golf to spend a little more time with Vic or with, with Asher. Like, and spending more time with Vic, you know, self, self care and love, loving yourself the same way Jesus loves yourself. That's important too. But loving, like loving the ones around him, how, what, what are the things that I can cut out to love the ones that that's more important, um, a little more, 
Right. So I think as as um, as we kind of wrap this up, let that let that simmer. Let's meditate on that. Like I, I would challenge all of you the same way that I'm being challenged. It's like, man, what are those things that are like? Oh, those are good things. Maybe I should catch up on like the latest uh, news in, in 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 the hobbies or things that I'm interested in. What are those things that we actually we maybe we could say no, even though they're good things. What are those things that I can say? Hmm. Actually, God, I, I'm going to let that aside right now. I'm not going to sign up for that new Hulu TV show. I'm not going to like uh, sign up for this this uh, getting up to date on this latest thing that I'm interested in. Not because they're bad, because Jesus, I want you more. Right, I'm going to spend more time. Uh, I, I want to move from admiring the life of John the Baptist to imitating it. All right, so what are those things that you can choose the locust instead of the meat in this season? Um, as a church body, uh, a lot of us fast on Tuesdays and Wednesdays. Let the Holy Spirit speak to you. Is that something that you uh, can enter in and join with us corporately in doing and saying, whatever it might be, fasting from meat or fasting from sweets or fasting, just doing a water fast, whatever that might look like for you, or fasting from social media or saying, I'm going to set that aside, even though it's a good thing, setting it aside that I might be like John the Baptist, choosing the wilderness, meditating on your word, praying like Jesus did, rising early in the morning. What are things that we can do um, to, to embrace that wilderness lifestyle here in our lives? So I just want to spend some time to, to, to pray about it. All right? um, 